have the blackest dirt that I've ever seen, darkest dirt, rich, just rich, rich dirt. Well, I was relating your history to Mrs. Kearney tonight because you may remember long ago we went out to eat dinner one night. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Mary, mm-hmm. Mrs. Walden is from that area of the world, and I believe her family were bakers. They were That's right. They were bakers, um, English. Uh, and the the quick story is her her English grandfather, who had immigrated from England, originally went to Pennsylvania. And when he found out that he had to be vaccinated, I think for TB, but I'm not sure, but with some vaccination was required, he didn't want anyone sticking him with needles. So he fled to New York, <laughs> where, they, where they didn't require those vaccinations. So that's how he got there. There's a wonderful concept among teachers of history, and then we'll get down to the economy, of the western part of New York over into the, uh, I guess, the corner of uh, of uh, Ohio that mm-hmm. is there. That it's called the Burnt Over District mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it was burned over, figuratively speaking, by lots of religious revivals. And, of course, it was out of that part of the world that Joseph Smith and the Mormons came. And yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's an interesting and well, it's another another thing to read up on. It's an interesting history. So and and Mary is uh, one one her father's side was uh, Whitman, and she's related to Marcus Whitman. She's related to him, Marcus Whitman. Marcus Whitman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All Who right. did missionary work, as you know? And well, we have had our history lesson for tonight. <laughs> now we can get. I always appreciate your. Uh, giving us a little room for history and even referring to the fact that I know something or once did know something about history and so on. Dr. Walden has been at NC State since, I believe, 1977. 78, yeah. 78, okay. Coming up on 43 years, yeah. One of the things we, well, usually we start off by talking about the condition of the economy, sort of set the frame, the, the, the baseline, and that's where we're going to start tonight. And since I was on with you last, Tom, we've had some very good news about the economy. Uh, Listeners will recall that we had a very sharp drop in the economy, uh, primarily due, or I would say exclusively due to the the COVID-19 virus and the fact that we saw a large part of the economy shut down to to, uh, try to slow the, the spread of the virus. But in the second quarter, which would be April, May, June, the economy dropped at an annual rate of about a third, 33%. Now, the actual drop in the quarter was 9%, and but economists like to think of things on an annualized basis, so that's where we get that 33. But we had a very good rebound in the uh, third quarter, um, which just, which, uh, uh, yeah, let's see, third quarter would be uh, July, August, September. And it would, the economy actually rose a very sharp 30%, 7% on, on the quarterly basis, 30% on the annualized basis. So we are seeing the economy come back. Now, most economists do not think we'll, we'll see that 30% annualized growth rate continue. Things will slow down, but we do think that we're moving in a positive direction. Now, in terms of jobs, all important jobs, um, we have seen progress. We saw a, a sharp job increase in, in May and June. We've seen increases since, but they've been much more tapered. We just got the national um, uh, October job numbers last 
week, and they were a positive gain of about, this is for the nation, about 630,000. We don't have the North Carolina numbers yet. They'll come out, I believe, uh, two weeks, no, one week from today. And the unemployment rate has been edging down, although I, I do want to talk about that that number and its calculation uh, later when we get into later topics. So the, 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 the bottom line here, Tom, is things are improving. Certainly doesn't mean that everything is back the way it was pre-COVID. There's still a lot of people out of work. We've, we've recovered about 60% of the jobs that we've lost. Very important, though, not all the jobs that were lost have come back. Some different jobs have been created. We might want to talk about that also. Um, but things, things are improving, but we still have a ways to go. And, of course, now we're going through another surge in the virus. And uh, we, we obviously need to get that under control. The big, of course, you, you, you're aware of this, Tom, the big, heck, the big headline today, if anyone did not see the financial headline today, this was a, a banner day. The Dow Jones was up, I think, over 800 points. At one point, it was up close to 2,000 points. And this was all on, on the basis of news that was just reported from Pfizer, one of the big pharmaceutical companies, and one of the many companies that's trying to develop a vaccine. The report today from them said that their initial testing of the COVID-19 vaccine indicated that it was 90% effective, much exceeding everyone's expectation. I think the, I think the typical flu shot is about 50 to 60% effective. So this was big news, um, and the market rebounded on that very, very strongly. So that's ultimately going to get us out of this vaccine, and, and, we're, and now we're hearing stories about maybe by the end of the year we'll have a vaccine approved, and then I think the I think there are already plans for how the vaccine will be will be provided to people, and it will likely be provided in terms of groups. I think first responders, people working in hospitals, will be the first group, elderly folks, second group, and then and then so on. I, and I believe I recall hearing or reading, Tom, that the Army or the military is going to be involved in in distributing the vaccines. And so hopefully that could start to take place sometime early next year. Well, based on, just to throw it in and not, not to complicate things, based on what I've heard on, and, in fact, on WPTF News, uh, that um, the, the Pfizer vaccine has to be refrigerated at an extremely yeah. cold temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is Lilly, Eli Lilly, which is another competitor, heavy big drug maker, has a uh, vaccine that for older people, mm -hmm. i.e. Mike, for you and I, uh, yeah. to uh, take. Yeah, uh, we'll be in that category. Yeah. Yet, but they think it will be approved. And yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. I, that is a disadvantage of the Pfizer. It has to be kept at extremely low temperatures. I think it's also a two-dose vaccine. Right. And so the good thing, though, is we have several, I think, a handful of major pharmaceutical companies that are working on this. And and um, one of the, and I'm not sure if they'll all be able to distribute. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but obviously each will probably have some benefits and disadvantages. But the fact that that, that Pfizer said theirs is 90% effective, I mean, that, that to me is just, just very, very positive news. I mean, that's exciting. Pfizer used to have facilities, I think they still do in Greensboro, if I, I remember I think correctly. so. I think they have a North Carolina presence. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I was manufacturing establishment. Uh, are we ready to take a break, Dr. Walton? 
We, we can, Tom. Okay. You, you, you run the time. Yeah, okay. I run my mouth, you run the time. <laughs> I'm the timekeeper. Well, I, I apologize for interrupting you there, but uh, uh, in any event, we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and if we have any more we want to say about the state of the budget, uh, and also, uh, and the wonderful thing, Mike, is that I took care of writing these down, and I can only read four of the six. <laughs> well, that's good. That's progress. I'm, I'm getting better. But we'll continue. Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University, is our guest, making his monthly visit to the Tom Kearney Show. And we'll be back to talk to him some more right after this. And Dr. Mike Walden is our guest tonight, as he is, has been for yay these many years to talk about that subject. Dr. Walden, we were talking about the condition of the economy, and I don't know if you're ready to segue. I always like to say that word. That's a good radio word. That's a great word. I, I like that word, too, Tom. To, yeah. the, to the next topic, but it is a case of looking at the state budgets, and, the, and, and we ended up with two states, the state of the state budgets. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, one of the, uh, of course, many businesses, many households have been dramatically hurt financially by by the virus, and although the economy is improving, certainly want to remember uh, there are a lot of people and a lot of businesses still hurting. But another entity that has um, that has been hurt has been state governments. You might say, why? Well, <clears throat> if you think of a state government like North Carolina, it relies on the economy. Uh, for its tax revenues, and if the economy is doing well, if businesses are doing well, and people are doing well, and they're spending money, and they're earning income, etc., that's going to generate revenues for for the state. Uh, if that's not happening, that's not going to generate as many as revenues for the state. And unlike the federal government, if the federal government uh, falls short, that is, if its revenues uh, do not um, cover its spending. Federal government can simply turn around and borrow that money, and and of course most people know they have, dramatically have. In fact, uh, very much so this year, borrowing money to provide the various kinds of help to businesses and, and households. States, most states can't do that. They are limited. Their constitution limits them in what they can borrow money for. In general, it, they can borrow money only for big uh, projects, like most of the most uh, important being roads. So when North Carolina wants to build a road, normally they will borrow money for that road and they will um, build the road and then pay the debt off over time. They can't borrow money for meeting what's called the, the general fund. The general fund in North Carolina funds all the uh, state workers. It funds a whole variety of uh, programs. It funds a large part of the state universities community colleges, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Um, the only part of that equation that the state could potentially borrow for is, for example, building new buildings at state universities or, in some cases, community colleges. But in terms of meeting payroll, uh, state, state of North Carolina can't do that, can't borrow, and most states are in the same situation. So with the economy in North Carolina having a, a big downturn, with the national economy in the early part of this year, uh, we are looking at state revenues that probably are not going to to grow uh, that at the level that was expected. Now, there was a report that just came out, Tom, from Moody's. Most people won't know the term Moody's. It's a financial uh, business. Uh, they do a lot of things. 
and they did a recent analysis of all 50 states and uh, what their prospects were in terms of budget shortfalls over the next couple of years due to the virus. And fortunately, North Carolina was at the, at the North Carolina is going to face a shortfall likely, but it's going to face a shortfall that is at the lower end of the list in terms of size of the shortfall compared to many other states. Uh, Moody's is looking at maybe a, a reduction of state revenues for the current fiscal year, which runs through next uh, June and then the following fiscal year, maybe a drop in state revenues of 5% in each of those two years, where some states are looking for drops double or, or triple that. Now you might say, why? Why, does, why will North Carolina likely do, uh, they're going to have a problem, but, but not as big a problem as other states. I think there are two reasons. One, North Carolina has built up a very large, what's called rainy day fund. Uh, this is a concept that many states uh, developed several years ago. The notion being, in good times, don't spend all your revenue, put some aside for a rainy day, like a recession. And North Carolina has done that. I think our rainy day fund right now is somewhere between, and I stand to be correct on this, somewhere between a billion and a billion and a half. So that's one thing that we have done, and so we can draw down on that if we want to. General Finley and Governor, of course, they both have to agree, can draw down on that if they want to. The other thing that I think North Carolina has going for it is we are a growing state. Over the next two years, people will be moving here. Businesses will be moving here, and that will help us meet these deficits in, in the general fund. Now, uh, many states are not like us, and that's why one of the big debates uh, that were, was going on in Washington up until the election was whether there needed to be another stimulus package, uh, another help from the federal government that went directly to states and, in some cases, local budgets and allow them to put that money, in North Carolina's case, in the, in the general fund. Actually, the federal government has, has provided a lot of money to North Carolina. I think the last count, $39 billion, but all but $1 billion of that has been targeted things like, for the virus mainly, things like testing, things like help for hospitals, et cetera. And what North Carolina and most states are looking for is some help maybe to fill that gap, that 5% gap. So we'll see whether those talks get, get restarted when, when, uh, when uh, Congress comes back. But uh, North Carolina will have some tough decisions over the next couple of years, fiscal years, but they likely will not be as tough as, as many other states are facing. Mike, thank you. Um, one of the topics that I cannot read is the next one. Uh, <laughs> if you read the one. Shifting time. Shifting time. And I, in fact, know what that's about. And, you know, that's probably the one that the listener would remember just because I forgot it. But <laughs> shifting time is the next topic. Now, that's what's called a tease. And Dr. Walden <laughs> cooperated with me in it uh, because it's time for us to pause for a couple of minutes and check the news. And then we'll be back. Dr. Mike Walden is a professor of economics at NC State University, and he appears with us every month to talk about the state of the economy. And we'll be back right after the news. Are we back on, John? Yeah, but Dr. Walden's gone. I'll call him back. Okay. We'll have to check and find out what happened there. Uh, Tom Kearney on WPTF. Uh, Dr. Mike Walden is our guest tonight. Tomorrow night is going to be a nostalgia night. This is where we used to do our promoing. 
we might talk about Alex Trebek a little bit tomorrow night and, and other things, uh, the history of Jeopardy and that sort of thing, because all these nights for the last many, many years we've had Jeopardy to sit down to, and now Alex is gone, and uh, the, the program, I'm sure, will continue on, and there will be some other nostalgic topics. Dr. Joe Cadell will be our guest on uh, Wednesday night, uh, taking a look at the conclusion of fighting in World War One because Tuesday, as you may observe, is the 11th day of the 11th month, and that was the day uh, in 1918 when the armistice was signed. And uh, Austin Maddox will be with us to talk about coins and stamps on Thursday night, Friday night. Of course, will be Friday night trivia night. Dr. Walden, are you there? Me, hey, John? Uh, Dr. Walden's back. Dr. Walden, are you there? I am Tom, yes. Hear me? Uh-oh. Okay, John, we had some other source of audio there, but we did not have Dr. Walden. I'm here, Tom. Oh, oh, you're there. Okay, now we're back in business. Okay. I have no idea what happened, and I was going to come back to you with a story about uh, a failure of infrastructure just for our amusement, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm going to persist because we've just had a failure of infrastructure, but uh, there was a public service announcement in our half-hour break there. Uh, actually, it was a, an update, uh, an evaluation of the date November 9th in history, and it was on this date in 1965, that the first major blackout in modern times hit New York. I don't ah, know you, okay. Uh, it was, and uh, I recently saw a, a, a movie about that, a uh, science movie, about infrastructure and the problems. And I think a, le- a relay in somewhere in Ontario went bad, and mm-hmm. it just cascaded the electric, and they were, mm-hmm. the power was gone for about 14 hours. Think of yourself, 14 hours in the subway. Oh, yeah. The, oh, the, my. The yeah. most interesting thing was the, the two cases that they chose to concentrate on were, one, there was a, a Swedish jet that was landing, and the power went out as it was approaching the ground. Oh, oh my <laughs> and, goodness. And the other one, there was a baby being delivered. But the oh doctor said uh, he didn't have any problems because most of what he did in delivering babies, he didn't have to see anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine being you're being in a you know a serious medical or... Oh, yeah.
study that I'm going to refer to did is it was able to get data from a sample of households who were working from home and find out how what did they do with the time that they saved by not having to commute, whether it be by their own private auto or ride sharing or public transit. At least there's going to be some commuting time. For some people, if you look at the triangle here, we see people commuting from several counties away to jobs here. So it can be quite, quite time consuming. But what this study wanted to ascertain is that during this pandemic, for those people who were now working from home, um, what did they, how did they use that time? That uh, whether it be an hour a day, 30 minutes a day, two hours a day, how did they use that time? And uh, very interestingly, what was found was one of the big increases was for total work. That is to say, uh, let's, let's just use an example here. Let's say that a typical person works eight hours a day at their job. Now let's say they, they uh, have another hour uh, a day that they, don't, they have available to them that they don't have to use commuting. What this study found is maybe 20 minutes out of that hour uh, they added to their eight hours that they normally would have worked. This may be one reason why businesses like people working at home is that people actually work more. So that was one interesting finding. Uh, the second biggest use of that commuting time was in doing household chores. Uh, and, and I think we've seen that a lot of people, since they're spending time at home or have, they've looked around the house and said, well, boy, I better go ahead and fix that now because I'm I'm going to be here a lot, or people have actually utilized um, the time at home to maybe make some home improvements, add a deck, et cetera, and that's showing up in, the, in these data that the second biggest use of that commuting time that they're not having to do was in household chores. Uh, thirdly was an increase, and this is, I think, very positive, in the time that the, the parents spend with their children. Um, that was, uh, I think, about... Uh, took about 10 or 15 more minutes out of each uh, hour that you saved in commuting. Uh, so that's important, and that's something I think we like to see. And then lastly, uh, people did reward themselves by spending more time uh, in leisure, in, uh, whether it be leisure in terms of playing games or just sitting around and watching TV or conversing with your spouse or children or whatever. So very, very interesting. I, I, this is fascinating to me how people do use that time. And I think what this a, a question this raises, Tom, is uh, if the opportunities to work at home are going to be still there, not for everyone, but there'll be, if there are going to be ample opportunities for people to work at home even after the pandemic is over, uh, number one, um, will, will people take advantage of those uh, or use them? And number two, if they do, how will that affect their total time use? Is, is one of the reasons why they might be doing this is they don't have to commute. That means they have more time to spend on some of these uh, these time uses that I just mentioned. So that's going to be very, very interesting for people like me, economists, who, who track these things. Very, very interesting to follow. Well, it seems like it's clear to me from the little bit that I've read that people observing the, the changes in the economy that the economy and the way people work is probably not going to go back to something right. that we would call normal again. No. Yeah, what, there's what? a there's an economist at <clears throat> Stanford, uh, last name Bloom, um, who is who is probably the leading national expert on 
remote working. And uh, he, he's the one that I'm using the data about during the peak of the pandemic. Now, hopefully we're beyond the peak. Forty percent of the workforce was working remotely. He's already noticed that pulled back a little bit. Actually, it was under 10 percent prior to the pandemic. It's going to go from under 10. I think it was about 8 up to 40 is, giant, is huge. I think if my last numbers I saw from him, I think it's pulled back to maybe 30 percent of the workforce. But he's projecting that... Um, uh, remote working is here to stay and actually will grow as a percent of the workforce. And he's projecting maybe in 2040, 2030, 2040, we'll have half or maybe a little over half of people uh, working remotely. Now, of course, all jobs, you can't do that. Um, if you, um, if you um, operate a bus or any kind of, uh, 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 say, or if you're in construction, you know, think about a lot of people don't have that luxury, and I call it a luxury because I've been able to work at home. They don't have that luxury of that ability to work at home. But uh, as our economy changes and maybe some of those jobs, uh, even in construction, will be done maybe by more technology, and maybe this opportunity will be available to, to more people. And, and I've heard people and read studies that, that uh, uh, people are split. There are some people who just love it. They love working at home. They love being able to interact more with their spouse and their children, et cetera. There are others who say they like a they like a division between their work life and their home life, and they don't get that division if they're at home. Everything kind of mushes together. They like going somewhere else where their mind is such that if they're at that place, the office, all they focus on is work. So um, different people will view this differently. And there are also the social benefits of sometimes getting out and right. being around other people because apparently a lot of people get cabin fever in the current situation. Now, one, just to extend this one more part, Tom, one aspect of this, however, is that um, what you hear, especially in big metropolitan areas, and you're now even hearing it here in Raleigh because we're, we're I think, on the verge of being really big, is that one of the downsides of... Um, of uh, having to commute to a job is that um, uh, the farther out you live, say if you live in Johnson County or, or even beyond Johnson County, um, Lee County, and you live and you work, say, in the park, and you live in Johnson and Lee County because you can buy a house more affordably there, whereas a real estate agent would say you can get more house for your money there, which is typical the farther away you live from centers of economic activity, like, like in this case, the park or, or downtown Raleigh. Um, people may, may like, may say, I'm going to take that, I'm going to take remote working because that means I don't have to endure that long commute uh, and I can, I can live out in the, in the rural, maybe a less sparse, less uh, dense area where, where uh, land prices are lower and house prices are lower and, or maybe I can even get me a bigger house have more space for my family, uh, that would be a benefit of remote working because you, you don't have to deal with either living close to your job but paying a lot more for your house or your, or your apartment, or if you live farther out, you, you, you give up closeness to job and you, you have this longer commute with congestion. So um, the choices there might, uh, I think those choices of being able to live farther out, enjoy a lower-priced home, and not have to commute, I think that choice will become more um, uh, apparent to more people if these trends of work remote working continue. Dr. Mike Walden, Professor.
professor of economics at NC State University. We've got uh, a little more, a couple more topics to cover tonight, and we will begin on those right after this. Dr. Mike Walden, if I can. Dr. Walden, I paid you a tribute today when I put the schedule out. Uh, one of my favorite radio commentators was a man named Paul Harvey. You probably yes. heard him. And are you there, Dr. Walden? Yes, uh-huh. Paul Harvey, yeah. And, and, and I put down, the, they used to say that what Paul Harvey brought you was news and comment. Yep. And mm-hmm. So I said today on the schedule, that which we post on our website, that Dr. Walden would offer news and comment about the economy. And it was <laughs> very good. <laughs> the connection with Paul Harvey. I, I, I listened to a couple of his old shows on YouTube the other day. You can find anything on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. But anyway, we need to get back to the economy. And we're down to the part now. I know the last uh, report that you were going to talk about had to do with holiday shopping, but I'm down to the part where I can't read my own handwriting now. Well, let's let's look at holiday shopping. Okay. Um, we're in the we're actually in what what economists define as the holiday shopping period, November and December. Um, and each year, it's uh, this is top news because people, uh, especially businesses, want to know well, is it going to be a good holiday shopping year or a bad holiday shopping year? And usually, that's measured by simply by what rate have would sales increase this year over last year, and generally if you get a holiday season where sales were up, say, 4%, anything more than 4% would be considered very, very good. Um, now this year, uh, my guess is, I haven't done a poll of this, uh, but my guess is that if you ask a sample of 100 people, is this going to be a good year for holiday sales or a bad year, my guess is the majority would probably say a bad year. They'd say, they'd say what's wrong with you? It's, <laughs> we've had a recession, a very bad recession. We have the virus going on. Um, why wouldn't it be a bad year? Well, actually, several, not all, but several of the forecasters, I don't, I don't independently forecast this myself, but several of the forecasters I've read, Tom, indicate that this will be actually a very good year for holiday shopping. Now, you've got to remember, holiday shopping now includes not just going to stores, so-called brick-and-mortar stores and buy things, but it does inc- it also includes cyber buying. So that, that's now rolled into this one number. Uh, I saw one forecast that suggested holiday sales this year, this would be retail sales for November and December over last year's November and December, would be up 9%. Now, if that's true, and it may not be true, it may turn out not to be true, but, but why would you expect to be have a forecast like that? Well, a couple reasons. One, uh, people have been cooped up for a long time. Uh, we, are, we are now getting out. Most of the shutdowns have, have ended. But there's a lot of what economists call pent-up demand. Pent-up demand, I think it originated, Tom, in World War II, where people couldn't buy things during the war and then Economists were worried there was going to be a big recession after World War II, and instead there was a boom because people people flocked to the stores to buy because they couldn't buy things during the war. Well, the same sort of psychology is working here, that people were restricted in buying things during the shutdowns for several months, and they're going to celebrate um, being able to perhaps shop, even either in person or online, by doing so during the holiday season. So that could be one reason. second reason is that... Believe it or not, if you look at in total, now this is not going to be true for every person and every business, but if you look in total, consumer buying power is actually very high, and this is uh, due in part to the various programs that the federal government had pr- 
primarily to, to help consumers. Remember, a lot of people got $1,200 checks. That was one. Uh, people who were unemployed <clears throat> got not only their state unemployment, they got a lot another $600 uh, bonus from the federal government. So um, the notion is that if you look at the data, actually consumers are, are, are pretty flush with cash. Not everyone. I want to emphasize that. But there's a lot of potential buying power out there in consumer hands. And the idea is that they will exercise that buying power during the holiday shopping season. So, so we will track this, and, and I'll report back to you early next year when we get the numbers. But right now it looks fairly optimistic about the holiday season. I'm glad you said you were going to track that because I was going to ask you to do that. And what I was trying to figure out is about what month, and it probably would be uh, February or March before we yeah, it, it won't need to January. Yeah, it's going on. February or March. But if the good Lord's willing, and we're we're still here, we'll we'll ask for your report at that time. And and at this point, we have had all the time we have for your reports tonight. Okay. Your, well, Tom, it's always great to be with you. Mike, I always enjoy our conversations, both on and off the air. And I look forward to talk, talking to you again next month. Okay. By the way, good night, Dr. Walden. He got away from me. No, he. I'll have to talk. Send him an email, but uh, December is usually the month we get our baker's dozen. And that is, we get two reports, one on the month of December and one on the year. But we'll look forward to that. Tomorrow night, we're going to have a nostalgia night. What is then?